Hey, and welcome to the Six Minute Mile podcast. I am David Lavalley, and I can't wait to share my conversation with today's guest, Kira D'Amato. Kira graduated from college 14 years ago as a four-time All-American distance runner. She intended to pursue a professional career until a foot injury abruptly ended her dreams. Severely bummed out, Kira threw her energy and talents into her marriage, her two children, and a career in real estate. When she finally had surgery to correct her foot problem, she started running again, but still put her Olympic dreams on hold, instead satisfied to be known around town as the running realtor. In between closing deals and raising her kids, she gradually began to increase her mileage and eventually wound up setting 5K, 10K, and marathon PRs in 2020. She capped off the year with a race she helped organize, the Updog 10-Miler, featuring only five elite women. Kira won that race and set a new American record in the process at age 35. With her dreams now back in sight, she's gunning for a spot on the U.S. team for the Tokyo Olympics this summer. Don't bet against the running realtor. Enjoy, and we'll see you out there. Now I think we can hear you. Okay. Is this okay, or should I try to put my headphones back on? I think that sounds pretty good. Brad, what do you think? Oh, now, Brad, we can't hear you. I was on mute. It's perfect. (laughs) Thank you very much. And thanks for making time to be with us. No, and I, I am so sorry about last week. I... I hate being late. I hate flaking out. And uh, we just had kind of a family emergency that um, kind of came up unexpectedly. But I appreciate you guys rescheduling. And I am so I am so sorry to, to reschedule on you. We are very, very upset. You're lucky we're even speaking to you. Oh, thanks. I appreciate the forgiveness. Yeah. Give me a mulligan, right? I get one mulligan, but never again. Exactly. With as many things as you are juggling between that's right. And parenting and training uh, you know, we'll make accommodations for you any day. <laughs> Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. So, all right. So we have to start out my terrible corny joke. What's up, dog? Nothing dog. What's up with you? How's it, how's it going? I will never, that will never grow old on me. <laughs> I, I, I love that so much. How, how, uh, how you doing dog? <laughs> no complaints. No, I, I have to admit, uh, everyone in our family are huge fans of The Office, and I'm a sporadic Office watcher. And when I read about the race uh, a couple months ago now, I guess, I said, all right, I'm not cool. I've got to look up the joke, the what's up, dog joke. So anyone listening to this who is not clued in yet, you got to Google what's up, dog, Office. And uh, and then, of course, I tried it on my teenage kids, and they were, like, rolling their eyes, like, oh, dad, you're such a tool. Oh, so. <laughs> But do you know what? That kind of reaction from teenagers, I think, equals like two thumbs up. You know, <laughs> like I think that translates to being like semi awesome. So I'm going to tell my kids that a massive international superstar just said <laughs> I'm awesome. I think that's what you said. Anyway, much more importantly, thank you for joining us. What a, what a year 2020 was for you. What a year. Yeah. That's all I can say is what a year. It was, it was a heck of a ride for sure. That's so cool. No, I, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I was a kind of English and history major in college, and I was thinking F. Scott Fitzgerald once said there are no second acts in American lives, and I'm like, ah, don't tell that to Kira D'Amato. She, <laughs> she just proved you wrong. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what I'm trying to do. It does feel kind of like you know. 
I've been telling people I took like a really long halftime show. So I, you know, I, I was running and then I took like a decade long halftime. I was like hanging out in the locker room too long, drinking too much uh, Gatorade or whatever. But, uh, but now I'm back, I'm ready for the second half and, uh, or the bonus life or the second round, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I'm back, baby. That's really cool. But I mean, you are, you're uh, setting PRs 10 years, uh, more than that now, 14 years after college. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty wild. So do you think in a strange way, did, did, did some of the layoff time help? Do you have more miles in your legs because of some of the layoff time? You know, I think that's a really, really interesting point. I, I think so, you know, and I think I'm going to tell everything, tell myself everything I need to, to just like beef up my ego and confidence that this is the way it was supposed to be. But, um, but I do think that I have a decade where I wasn't grinding it out. I wasn't having those injuries. I wasn't burning out. I, you know, I, I, uh, had a really long halftime show, so I feel really, really refreshed and ready to get back in it. But, but I also think just mentally not being burned out, like this is all very new still and exciting. And I feel like I have a lot of experience, but at the same time, I still feel like a noob coming on the scene. Um, you know, doing, doing some new things every this 2020, literally every week of my life, I would walk off the track or walk off a tempo run and say, that was the best workout of my life. And Very that's cool. really exciting to feel that kind of progress. That is excellent. So take us back a little bit. So I think you grew up in the DC area, right? Were you always a good athlete as a kid? Yeah, I was you know, uh, yeah, I'm not too humble. <laughs> I need to work on that. But um, no, but I did every single sport that I could growing up. Um, I did soccer and basketball and tennis and swim team. And I had a brief stint at a t-ball, which that was the one sport that didn't quite go my way. But I also, I don't have depth perception. So I think that may have really oh. hurt me in a sport with like a ball like that. But, um, but I was always a standout. And I think that was largely because I was so fast and I just naturally had this like quick speed so in soccer I was the first one to the ball in basketball I was the one with the breakaway um, in swimming I just had this cardiovascular strength I think from just being an athlete that always proved me well but yeah I grew up doing everything playing everything wanting to be a part of anything sport related and um, were your parents good athletes or you have siblings who are good athletes some of this must be genetic right yeah, yeah, my my parents were my my dad is he was I want to say he was like a semi pro cyclist. So, um I mean he was cycling very seriously. He still in his 60s goes 20, 30, 40, 50 miles a day. Um so he has this crazy endurance. I think at one point he was training a little bit for running but more so for biking and he jumped in a marathon and ran like a 320 something. And this is before chip timing. So he said it took him over five minutes just I to bet. the starting line. So so that 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 time has a question mark near it. It probably could have been um been a little bit faster. Um and then my mom, we always joke that she was on a varsity sport in college because she was the coxswain of the men's heavyweight crew team. Very so cool. That is her claim to athletic fame is just bossing people around. Um but, um, but they, all my brothers and sisters, I'm the oldest of five kids and everyone picked a different sport growing up. So I'm the runner. We have a basketball, we have a lacrosse player. We had a soccer player, swimmer and diver. And, um, we kind of all went our separate ways, but I think we all found really great success in athletics. 
And how did you choose AU for college? Um, that was, I loved coach Centrowitz. I think that was yeah. the, the biggest factor, um, meeting him. He's such an amazing person an inspirational person. And he just tells it like it is. And I feel like his coaching style really meshed well with how I like to be coached. Um, and just knowing that he was a two-time Olympian, former American record holder, he at the time had something he was coaching called the five o'clock group, which were post-collegiate runners. So I knew that if I came onto a team and suddenly I found myself kind of running as like the lone wolf, that he had all these post-collegiate runners that would be able to kick my butt and drag me around the track. So I felt a lot of confidence that as far as running, AU would be a really, really great, great school for me. And it worked out well, right? Yeah, it did work out well. It worked I mean, out really well. Four time All American, I think three in cross country, one in track. Yep, yep, that's it. That's cool. Um, and um, and you were also, as we say in Boston, wicked smart too, right? Where you were all <laughs> all academic, everything. And I was. I got. I think I got more academic awards than uh, than even athletic awards. But I was. Yeah, I was always getting like the academic All American. I was a math major with a computer science minor. Um, and yeah, so kind of all that math elite nerdness and everything. Um, and actually my senior year, I was, I think I was, well, I, I know I was a, a runner up for the woman of the year, which is a combination of athletics for the, in, the whole NCAA. So it was a combination of athletics, academics, leadership, and service. Um, so I was really proud that, um, that was probably my most proud accomplishment in college is the fact that it made me feel like a well-rounded human being. Who beat you out for that? I bet I bet that woman is not setting American records right now. Sorry to be mean, but it was actually another runner, Annie Bursagel. Maybe I'm saying her last name wrong, but she ran for I want to say it was it was either Duke, maybe or Wake Forest. Okay. I forget exactly where, but she was a phenomenal runner and she beat me a handful of times in track. So I feel like she really earned it. Mm, all yeah. right, maybe, yeah. maybe. All yeah. right. We, I think we should redo that ballot 14 years yeah. later. But I know, yeah. Let's let's try it again. Yeah, I'm up for a rematch, recount. <laughs> Get her out in the get her out and do a ten thousand meter challenge race. Yeah. All right, we'll sponsor that. Um, so and then after college, so so college went great. That was a lot of fun. And was your intention to become a professional runner after that? I know injuries uh, took a toll afterward, but immediately after college, you say I'm turning pro. I'm going to make a living on this. Yeah, that was definitely my intention. I feel like my whole life I've just wanted to be a professional athlete. Like sports are just they're in my blood and just the benefits from sports to kids and just in general to anybody is just so vast that I just knew I wanted sports a part of my life. Um, and running happened to be the, the sport of choice. But so right after college, I joined coach Scott Roscoe's team in the DC area called DC elite. Um, it was kind of headlined by Alan Webb at the time, but there oh, cool. over a dozen runners on the team. And, Julie Henner was, or formerly Julie Henner was the like co-coach and she had her own group of people. And then we had a group and we'd meet up together. So it was this really cool mega team in the DC area. Um, so I trained with them for, I think about three years before having kind of an onslaught of a uh, kind of re repeated injury there. And mostly foot injuries. Yeah, it was all, it was all foot injuries. I, um, I have something, I had something called, I think it's called a tarsal coalition. So there's two bones in my foot that were connected where there shouldn't have been. And since there wasn't that release where there should have been, I guess, a joint or a space, it was making perpetual stress fractures in my foot. 
Um, and unfortunately at the time it was like the pre-existing phase period. Yeah. So they said it, you know, since I twisted my ankle back in high school, it, you know, I already had ankle injuries, so it wasn't covered. So I didn't really have the funds to cover it myself. So I kind of felt like that was a natural stepping stone to kind of pursue my other goals of life. So how was it heartbreaking at the time? Did, did it, did it really disappoint you at the time? Yeah. Yeah. And even just saying that I'm, I'm tearing up a little, it was yeah, I bet. the hardest decisions of my life to kind of move past that. Um, and, and I feel like, I really felt like running broke up with me. Like I, like I kind of had to like mourn it a little bit afterwards that I felt like I was leaving, not on my terms, not the yeah. way that I wanted to go. I felt like I was kind of forced out and it was everything that I knew. So it was a really tough period for me, just kind of redefining myself as Kira, not Kira the runner. So right. Um, but I think that was a really important step in my life. And I think that's why I've had now success in my thirties is because I did a really great job. I feel like defining Kira, you know, to be more than just a runner. Right. And, uh, but did you think about other sports? Do you think maybe I'll try cycling? Maybe I'll go back to swimming. Yeah, I did. I actually got really into cycling. I mean, being that my dad was, was a yeah. biker, or is a biker. He said that if, um, if I did a century with him and trained that he'd buy me a bike. So I'm like, yeah, what do I need to do to get that bike? Okay. So I did a lot of miles then and really got, got into it, but in a way I, um, it was all for fun. Then I never got obsessive about it. I was never like buckled down, you know, locked in competing. It was more just, I was learning to have sport in my life for just enjoyment and just recreation. And I think it gave me a really unique and um, a great appreciation for just running or just any sort of sport, just for the recreational and enjoyment and just the, you know, just for fun. But using your breakup analogy, was it sort of like, yeah, this new boyfriend's okay, but I really, I really miss Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy's yeah. the runner. I really miss Jimmy, man. I really miss Jimmy. Yeah. He was a lot cooler. Yeah. He was a lot cooler. I was better at it. Yeah. I didn't have to like jump in a pool and get wet. Like being wet and cold is terrible. Like, I don't know how swimmers do that, but, um, but yeah, so that was, but yeah, then I got on like a soccer team. I was you know, I did like a yeah soccer team. I did a baseball league. Like I just love sports. So it just yeah. put me in coach. That's so cool. And then, so then how long was that gap? So then you, you got married, had kids traveled around the world. Um, so tell, tell us about that phase. Were you still trying to stay active during, during that part of your entry into the real world? Yeah, I was, I, um, so I had, I eventually retired and I got the surgery in 2009 and um, then I started working full-time in a corporate position and just started putting running back in my life for fun after the surgery. And I got married in 2012 and to my husband, who is a rock star, he's just my partner in crime. He's so much fun, but we knew each other from high school. So we, we met each other at a running camp in high school. So we had this bond of running that's like in our relationship that I can't even describe it, but like running really was like our first bond and our first connection, our first friendship. So 
throughout our marriage, like we did a 5k the morning of our, our wedding day. And actually no. we, we cut the course. I, I can't say I did the whole 5k. We had about a hundred of our wedding guests did the whole 5k, including my grandmother who was in her eighties. And that was her first and last 5k ever, which is really, really cool. I feel really special that she did that on my wedding day, but we cut the course a little bit so we could finish first for the photo off. <laughs> Cause there was no way we were going to finish first on, on that day with, uh, with the competition in that race. But, um, but yeah. And then my husband just loves running too. So we would run like, those would be like our dates, you know, we'd go for a run together. Um, we, I loved racing. Like for me, if I could just race like every day or every weekend, like I, would race into shape that would be my like training method yeah. of choice my husband's opposite he likes to pick one race and train for it for months and then rock that race so during we were in tampa florida for a while and we were racing every weekend which i think was a little bit too much for him and but i wouldn't really run in between the races so i would show up to a race and just like give it all i got and be like well okay i guess i'll go for a run next weekend at the next race so, so that was it was unique uh it was a unique time now, what is it about your makeup that you enjoy racing so much? Well, I think, I mean, the bottom line of it is like, if you tell me I can do a tempo run by myself, set up my own water stations, grab my own water and do that, or I can be in a race where there's water set up and people are cheering for me, why would I not want to race? So. Good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You, and I think I'm also just competitive. I'm a competitive person. So I yeah, really yeah. Get a, I get a whole different energy standing on a starting line than I do just, just out for practice. But I think just it's in my blood just to be a competitive jerk too. <laughs> I like that. Sharp elbows. Yeah, exactly. But, but how did, how did your ego handle it during those years when you're starting to come back and you're racing and I'm sure you're looking around like, Oh, I've known her since high school. I, I used to beat her by four minutes from now. She's beating me. Was there a little bit of that phenomenon going on too? You know, it's funny. I want to say there, there was, because that seems like how I would answer that question, but I don't remember the ego during that time at all. Good. Um, I remember wanting to finish the best that I could for myself. But I didn't necessarily, and whenever I'm in a race, I'm going to try to win it or try to win my age group or I'm trying to out sprint whoever's around me near the finish. But I don't remember really feeling that, yeah, that sort of ego then. I remember one race in Tampa, I was like, I was first in my age group, but I was the third Cura that finished. And like, I've never been beat by a Cura before. And then not only was I beat by, I was beat by two Kira. So I like, I won my age group, but I didn't even win my name group. That like, that rubbed me the wrong way. I remember that very vividly being a little bit pissed about that, but it was more so that a Kira beat me. And I've actually met a lot of other Kiras since then. And probably some of them could still beat me and I'll still probably be a little pissed. But, um, but yeah, I think that it was a really like, it was just a really fun time. And I don't know, I think, I mean, there and to be honest, there was a time too that I'm I'm watching what's happening in USA track and field and I'm watching, you know, the Olympics. And like there is a part that's like, why is that not me? Why was that not me? Yeah, yeah. Put a shoulda. Yeah. But I think when it came just to the local races, I left my ego at the door, I guess. Yeah. And so you said two thousand nine you had the surgery? Yeah. So even so it wasn't an instant turnaround to okay, now I'm back to Olympic trials level. It was, it was a long path from there to 2020. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was. I, and by the time I had the surgery, I, I had kind of healed those scars from losing running. And I accepted that I wasn't ever going to run at that level again. And I was really content with it. Um, one of my girlfriends one time asked me like, here, do you think you'll ever run at that level again? And I just laughed at her face. I'm like, what are you like? And I was pregnant at the time. So yeah, I'm like, yeah. what are you talking about like, no, that's, that's like, you know, cure of the twenties. Like I I've moved on. I'm, I'm past that. So I really, I would have never five years ago predicted to be where I am today. So what, so what was the, what was the catalyst that where did things start to get serious? I think, I think you had a great race in Richmond, maybe two years ago or so, but, but you probably started getting serious well before that. Yeah, I think that it was never my intention. Um, It was kind of just a result of how much I love to run. Um, After having two kids and knowing that my husband and I were done with, with that, um, we're tapping out on two. Um, I finally had like permission to get my body back and take control of something. So I was really excited to add running back in, in that way. Um, and then my husband at the time, he was deployed a lot right after I had the second kid, he was for about a year and like a two year period. So I had a one-year-old and a zero-year-old at home feeling very overwhelmed as a new mother. And like, I mean, he is awesome and super supportive and did all he could, but I was also just really lonely. And I think I filled that void with running at the time. And um, I would put the kids to bed and then go hop on my treadmill, or I would hire a girl up the street to come watch my kids for an hour or two while I went for a run. I live very close to my mother and father-in-law, so they would come over pretty much every weekend just so I could get out and have a little bit of time to myself. But during that time, like I really, I really struggled during that time. That was a really tough, you know, tough period of my life. And I filled it with running. And I think um, having so much time alone and filling it with running, I kind of fell backwards. And then all of a sudden was knocking on the doors to some of my PRs or I jumped in that race and I was two minutes, the, the Richmond marathon, I was two minutes off the Olympic qualifying time. And then it all of a sudden, like the fire started and it was like, oh man, these, these, uh, these goals and these things that I said goodbye to back in my twenties, this is back on the table. Like if I really, you know, ask Scott, you know, beg Scott Rasco to come back into my life and have some intentional training and really, really go for it. I think that I can, kind of hit some of those goals that I, that I didn't the first time. So, but even that, that's still a compressed time period, right? I think your daughter is three. So if you're saying really when she was right after she was born, you started getting more serious. It's, it's only, it's only three years on this kind of full performance recovery path. Yeah. She'll, she'll be five in, um, in August. So okay. I started, so she was born in 2016 and I gave it probably, two months completely off. And then I started at the end of 2016, just like heavy elliptical training while she was in like a little bouncer next to me. Um, And so I'd say at the beginning of 2017 is when it came, like, that's when I really started adding in the miles and making it a little bit more serious. Um, Actually, I'll say 2018, I became very intentional. 2017, I started really loving the run and just putting a lot of miles into, into my daily routine. And so were Olympic thoughts starting to creep into your head at that point? No. No, really? Not at all. It wasn't, um, it, I don't even know when those started, but, um, 
once I was two minutes off the Olympic trials qualifier, I thought I had a shot to qualify for the trials. And that was the, I thought that was going to be the end. Like if that was the, the end all be all, if I could just qualify for the trials. Right. And then I qualified and I was like, well, if I'm going to be at the trials, I don't want to just be at the trials. I want to be top 50, top 20, top 10, top three. And that's when, that's when it all started. So I think once I hit that qualifying time, I didn't just want to be there. I wanted to be there to play. And so did, so what did training look like at that point? Did, did you ramp up the training? Yeah. Yeah. I had built like a really strong base from all the mileage. Um, I just wasn't doing very intentional workouts. So, um, so that's when Scott Roscoe really came in and we came up with a very good structure as far as, um, my cycle training a little bit more intentional with mileage. The workouts were really specific building towards specific goals. I had added in a lot of the small things and like, you know, the injury prevention and recovery and strength training. Um, so, you know, I'd say beginning mid 2018 to beginning of 2019, I'm training like a professional athlete, you know, I'm not paid, I'm not sponsored. Um, but my life as far as a runner, I think mirrored what anyone else in this country is doing, but I kind of put all the pieces together myself. You know, I reached out and I found a nutritionist that I could work with to make sure that I'm getting in the right nutrition and enough calories. And I'm fueling my body in a way that's sustainable, that I won't break down. I have an awesome chiropractor team in Richmond that I see on a very regular basis to make sure nothing comes up. I have a massage therapist that I work with um, and then a coach and he helps me with the strength training. So I really put together my own sort of like all-star team, um, but I did it myself, you know, and I shouldn't, not all by myself. I have like a village of supporters, but it's sure. like I created this thing on my own. And now I have this, this group and this team and this team D'Amato that's going after it. That's, that's really, really powerful. But, um, but yeah, so I would, yeah, I feel like I've been training like a pro and an elite athlete now for a couple of years, really, really seriously. It, but it, still, you were not really on anyone's radar, right? You weren't, you know, USA no. track and field wasn't saying, hey, here's, here's one of our top prospects. It, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I felt like I had a huge secret because I saw the progression that I was making in practice and through races, and I knew where I was going. It was only a matter of time before I got there. But I think like Coach Roscoe really encouraged me to have a lot of patience and to you know, just respect the process. And I really learned to love the process, to love the grind, to love just that daily, the weekly, the minor improvements and um, just putting more money in that piggy bank. And I couldn't wait to have, you know, that breakthrough. Like I knew a breakthrough year like 2020 was coming. Um, I thought it was going to happen more in 2019. Um, and I had some kind of unfortunate things pop up, but um, but I finally had that breakthrough year, which um, was really exciting to me, but also a little nerve wracking now that like my secrets out, you know, like, <laughs> I think I'm, I think I might be a little bit more on the radar now and people are, are looking out for me, but, um, but, you know, that's okay too. And, and why the marathon? You're more naturally a 10,000 meters person, right? So how did you pick marathon for the Olympic trials? Um, I think I'm going to do everything. So right. While training for the marathon, we were, we're simultaneously training for the 5k and 10k too. Okay. So I've taken a really unique, I shouldn't say it's my plan. It's Scott Roscoe's plan. I think has trained me in a way 
that um, I think on the Olympic trials marathon day, you could have told me it was a 5k or you could have told me it was a marathon and I would be ready to rock it that day. So Interesting. I think the versati versatility in my training and me as a racer is going to make me really strong when it comes to the 5k, you know, 5k or 10k. I don't think there's too many women that are going to be stronger than me. And then when you put me in a marathon, I don't think there's too many women that are faster than me. So um, just kind of having both sides play off each other, I think has made me, you know, forced to be reckoned with. So and I'm not that familiar with Olympic qualifying rules, but can you try to qualify in all three events? Mm -hmm. And yep. could you, and can you potentially sounds pretty old school, but could you run all three at the Olympics? You could. Yeah. You could. I mean, I don't know if that's the, the smartest technique because right. uh, depending where the marathon falls, you know, I don't think you're really going to bounce back after a marathon race. Sure. Um, but, um, you know, I think potentially you could, maybe that would be my goal for, uh, 2024 is to try to make the marathon and the track team. That would be pretty awesome. So what, if, if you could only pick one, what, what would you like to compete in? Uh, probably the shortest distance I can win at. So if you told me I only had to run for like 13 minutes and win, like, or make a team, that's what I'm going to do, you know, running for two hours and 20 minutes and, that's a long time to run. So I think I'm going to pick the shortest, but, um, but it's also just whatever I feel like I'm going to be the most competitive at is what I'm going to do. Got it. But my understanding is you've, you've scaled back mileage, right? Worked in a little bit more speed work. Is... Yeah. 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 So, and that that's with more the, the 5,000 and 10,000 in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, this last fall, even though the marathon was at the end of the schedule, it was, um, largely 5k and 10k training um you know i had my long run every week but i would be ranging anywhere from 80 to 100 miles a week whereas going into the marathon trials i was anywhere from 100 to 130 miles a week so we, we pulled back the mileage significantly but um the intensity went up a lot in the track workouts and the tempo workouts and then just my naturally my everyday run pace was quicker this year, just because of, you know, the training catching up with me. Um, and talk to us about, so I think, I think where your, um, your social media profile started to explode was, was after the updog race, right? Mm -hmm. After the, the 10 mile. So how did that come together? Amazing story. You wound up setting the, the American record for uh, women's 10 mile, um, but how did the, but you kind of put that together. I was sort of thinking of, um, of, of Dick Cheney when he was looking for a vice president for George Bush, right? He's like, huh, did the search and, and it looks like it turns out I'm the best person to be vice president. <laughs> you put your own race together and, and broke the American record. So it's yeah. not, not a perfect analogy, I realize, but. Uh, no, but, that's, that's pretty <laughs> darn spot on. I like that story too. Um, Created your own I, damn race and won it. I love it. Right, right. What do you, you know, in 2020, anything goes, I guess. But so I'm on the um, committee for the Credit Union Cherry Blossom 10 Mile Run. Great, epic bucket list race. Everyone should oh, do. Yep. Gosh, yeah. if you haven't done that, you need to do that. And it's actually the in-person race has been moved to September 2021, but they are doing a virtual race this this April. I think all those oh, fun. will open up soon, but it is definitely one of my favorite races in the world. Yeah. But so I've been on that committee for over 10 years now. And one of my roles is I organize the clinic speakers. So I've had the opportunity to have speakers like Mev and Dina and um, Catherine Schweitzer and uh, Joan Benoit Samuelson. So there's been some really, really cool people come through the race. 
And this year for 2020, Molly Huddle was one of our speakers. And the race director sent me a message to remind her and her agent, Ray Flynn, that um, if she were to race and set the American record, that there's an, there's an extra bonus. Um, and he said, you know, he thinks Molly is very capable of hitting that, which obviously she, she is. But um, so while I was passing along that message, I did the math and I was like, I can run that. Like what? And like part of me didn't even want to pass along the message and reminder, you know, but, um, but I did, you know, I did my job. Um, but when good I started, karma, that's all right. Yeah, good karma. Exactly. But yeah, when I started thinking about it, I was like, man, I can do that. And so I, you know, I was planning on doing the cherry blossom in April after the trials. And, um, but then when everything shut down and, you know, the world stopped and there was no more races, I needed something to, to train for and to yeah. work towards. So I just started working towards that 10 mile record. Like that was what, that was what got me up in the morning. What was my light at the end of the tunnel through all this chaos and craziness. And, um, I trained, you know, my butt off to get that. So, and then somewhere around July, I was like, okay, well now I need to find, like, now I, I'm really in shape to do this. I know I can hit that time where am I going to do it? So I reached back out to Phil Stewart, who was the race director for the credit union, Cherry Blossom. And uh, I pretty much just said, Hey, like keep this on the DL, but if one were to try to plan their own 10 mile race to go after American record, you know, theoretically speaking, <laughs> what would one have to do? And he just wrote back and was like, I'm in, I'll help yes. for me. So they came in and they organized it all and and I funded a large portion of the race but um but the credit union cherry blossom they donated towards it too which was very very nice and generous but so they really took the charge and led it and we opened the race up we had our elite athlete coordinator Bill Orr reach out to all of the agents and we actively recruited to see who would want to come and try to go after it um at first when I was planning it I wanted it to be like a solo attempt and then that started feeling like really selfish and not um, not true to like the running community to go after American record by yourself. That just felt really like yeah yeah sketchy. So I was like, we got to open this up, you know. And there there are women that I feel like could you know at the time maybe could have beat me. So by opening it up, it made me a little bit nervous that uh, who knows what's going to happen. But um, but luckily everything uh, worked out that day, and I have an American record now. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Damn right. <laughs> And what you had to keep the course under wraps, right? You couldn't, you couldn't publicize where you would be running. Yeah, we couldn't because just for everything going on, we really wanted to be respectful for the runners, the volunteers there. And just, you know, as far as, you know, I don't know, it, it makes it, it sounds crazy to think that people would want to come out and watch me run, but if people would want to come out and watch, we just didn't want to create a space where it could be unsafe for people so that was really hard because one, I have huge mouth and I <laughs> like, I can't keep anything under wrap. Um, but just, I don't know. I felt like everyone kind of needed something to, to cheer for, to get behind. And I felt like that, that, that hurt my heart a little bit, not to be able to do that, but we had it online. So I guess that, you know, similar thing, but. And, it, but the course was closed. You didn't have to stop at traffic intersections, right? Correct. Yeah. We got a permit that, um, the National Park Service was really, really, really supportive of, of it. And it's really hard to get permits. And there's a yeah. lot of 
things that you need to go through. But luckily, since the Phil Stewart has such a great relationship, we were able to get a permit for Anacostia Park. And they luckily let us shut down the park for the hours, you know, during the race. So it was a closed course. It was a looped course also. But for me, it was like, whatever, if I have to do 10 one mile loops or one 10 mile loop, whatever it is, just give me a course that's certified and record eligible to be able to do this. So yeah, we got we got really lucky. Is that running paths? It's pretty flat, right? Because it's right along the river. Yeah, it was very, very flat. It was on the roads. Um, there is a really beautiful running path yeah. next to the road. Um, you know, Anacostia Park, I feel like, is a little like unknown park, which is really cool to explore. And I would really encourage people to go check it out. It's a really, really beautiful park. But so that was that was fun to kind of bring a little bit of attention to that park, too, because it, it really is beautiful. So what the other four women who were in this, did they have a sense that you were a real contender or did they just say, oh, this is kind of cute. She organized this silly race called Updog and, you know, <laughs> thanks for inviting me, but we're about to kick your butt. I, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, it, it's funny because Molly Sedell was one of the runners. Yeah. I went up to her 10K race in the summer. So I think she was doing me a solid coming down and doing my race too. Yeah, yeah. But um, so we were talking beforehand and I'm like, okay, Molly, this is a plan. Like the, the pace is 513. Let's just go out. And she's like, whoa, you're just going to go out that fast. And uh, she's like, I'll try to stay with you for like half a mile, but I'm sorry, you're on your own. So um, she also, in fairness, was coming off the London Marathon and had yeah, not yeah. Been that kind of like speed work or whatever. So it was really, really cool of her to support me in doing that. I mean, she really came down as just a favor. But um, so, yeah, she and she said her coach was even laughing. She's like, yeah, I told my coach your plan. And he's like, well, good luck with that, Molly. Like, <laughs> have fun with that. But um but yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know, I guess what they were thinking, but I am so appreciative. Emily Durgan and Susanna Sullivan and Bethany Seychelbon. Like I was really, really appreciative that they came and took part in my silly named race. And so you, you had to do 513 to hit the standard, but you wound up running 508, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So at what point did you start looking at your watch and saying, uh, were, were, were there points at six miles? You're like, oh, I may have screwed up. This is too fast. No, I knew that 513 was going to feel pretty darn relaxed from my training. Okay. Um, so I felt pretty confident that I would be somewhere in the 51s. I thought if things went really well, I would break 51 that day. And I don't think it went as well as it probably could have. But, um, but I felt I felt pretty good. But but 10 miles is still a long way. So I knew there was a lot that could happen that really you know I didn't I never really felt like it was in the bag like I remember when I got to eight miles I was thinking I have about 30 seconds in the bank I feel good about this like I feel comfortable I feel like I can still like pound but I don't need to be anxious I can just relax and I don't need to do anything crazy I just need to keep running and with nine and a half miles I started getting like a little dizzy and I got a little cramp and that's when I had like a little panic in my head like yeah oh, yeah God, yeah may not happen for me today but um but having that like 30 second buffer it was like you could still like finish and run a six minute mile and you'll get this right now yeah, so right, right. I, I felt like I had the you know it was like just keep running and you're gonna hit this and luckily it as soon as um I saw like with 400 to go, I saw the finish line and then everything went away. And it just, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm going to get an American record today. And that was one of the most crazy, like, oh my gosh, coming down that finals 
finish line and my mom is holding one side of the banner my husband's holding the other side oh cool volunteers around the way were like my high school friends or you know people that you know have been part of my life or part of this journey so it was just a really really special day and uh yeah I still can't believe that all the stars aligned like that to make it all happen but it was a really cool moment well one of the coolest little quirks of this is I think if I have this right, you were holding the finish line banner in 2014 when Janet Bauckham set the record, right? Yeah. So and you were was, pregnant. Yeah, I was pregnant with my first child. And I, I tell people like, I don't really know how I got to be so lucky to hold the banner that day because that's not my job on the committee. But somehow yeah. I feel like I weaseled my way down to the finish line. <laughs> like I had like all the credentials and I think I was helping with announcing or DJing or something that that race. So I snuck my way down and they're like, hey, we need someone to hold it. Kira, can you do it? I'm like, yes, put me in. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> and that was so cool to witness. And like, I felt like I was a part of her historic moment and I was just holding the banner but I felt so part of it and so proud and so excited for Janet and everything that she had accomplished that day and just to have like a front row seat to watch that was a really really cool moment of my life and I didn't even set the American record I was just holding the banner so it, it feels like really surreal that I was on the other side of it you know, I, I hope I'm not spoiling, you know, your Mother's Day or birthday present coming up, but hopefully somebody's put together those two pictures in a nice frame of you holding the banner in 2014 and then you with your husband and mom holding the banner in 2020. That's awesome. That's a really good. I do need to get that frame. That is a really, really good idea. I All right. Forget I mentioned that. And then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, yeah. ping, your, we'll ping your husband offline. Yeah. Remind you. him. He, he, Act he, surprised when, when you get I, that. When you open oh, I, yeah. I got a good surprise face. It was funny though. On Twitter, there's, um, as one of my friends, Mike Z, he, he posted like, you know, that trend that's going around. It's like how it's going and, or how's, I don't know how it was, how it's going, whatever that Twitter, yeah, yeah, is, yeah. he posted that with the two pictures. Like, oh, he did. How, oh, good. Yeah. How it was, how it's going or something. So that was pretty funny. Now, did Janet reach out to you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. She sent me a message and said, congrats. And she was, um, it was really cool too, because she had kind of a similar story where she took a little bit of time off running and then she was in her mid thirties when she set that record. Oh, very cool. And so she was really proud that like another person with a similar story and, you know, a mother and someone that took a little bit of time off and, you know, got lost along the way, but find, found their way back was, was the person that was carrying on that record. So I thought that was really cool. And I thought, Oh, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. She said that. Uh, and so what's the, what's the inside track? We know, you know, more than, uh, than most people are writing about publicly, but what, what's the inside track on the Olympics? What, what do you, do you, if you had to bet a hundred dollars, will it happen? I, yeah, I'd bet a hundred dollars on that for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think it will. I, I definitely think it will. I think there's um, a lot of more planning and precautions and things right. that we need to do. And I think it's going to look different than any other Olympics in, um, in the history of the world or history of the Olympics. But um, in my heart, I feel like it will happen. And so what are they, and how about on the trials? So do you, are you redoing, are you redoing the marathon trials or? Nope, that team is set. And okay, I, that team's set from yeah, 2020. Okay. From 2020, yeah. And I feel really, I feel like we picked the best team. You know, they, yeah, yeah. those three women won that day. And I think that's the best team that we're sending. So I feel very, very happy and confident that we're sending the best three women on that. But um, the track trials, they were postponed until um, this year, to this June, 2021. 
Um, and so everything will just be shifted a year later. So I kind of, what's really funny about that is I remember a clear thought I had in college sometimes when I'd be like intimidated on a start line that I just wanted the world to pause and to get like one more year of training before this race, you know, that's like the, you know, the crazy things that you think in your head before a race. And I kind of feel like that happened for, for me now. It's like, I had luckily one more year of training before the track trials this year. And uh, I feel like I really made, made good, good use of it. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And I, you know, crazier things have happened, you know, than some mom realtor making Olympic team, right? <laughs> we haven't even talked about your, your, uh, the running realtor career, but <laughs> Um, but it, it, this running seems like it's really helped your business career, right? As a realtor. It has, it really has. Like I've had, like after when everything was normal and there was races, I would be on, like, I'd finish a race and someone would come up to me and be like, Hey, are you that running realtor? I have the house to sell. I'm like, that's me. Come on in. (laughs) So yeah, so it's, it has, it has helped, but I think also people see just, it's very evident how hard I work in running. And I think that that translates really well. So I think people immediately hopefully can trust that the amount of dedication and attention to detail and everything that I put into running, I put into all aspects of my life, especially my career. So I think that's been really, really helpful because with real estate, it's, you know, it's a really big thing when you're going to buy or sell a house. It's one of the, it's the biggest financial decision yeah. you make in your life. And you want to make sure you're working with someone that you can trust and it's going to be working for you. And um, so I think that that's really helped define just my values as a person. And hopefully it makes people want to, you know, trust me in that process with them. Well, the, the billions in sponsorship dollars are, are knocking on the door, but you know, <laughs> in, until that actually hits your bank account, it's good to have, a, good to have a safety net. But exactly. um, speaking of which, are you, I think I've seen photos, you're, you're running on the Nike Vaporfly next. Um, <laughs> what's your thought? Do they make a significant difference? I love the shoe. Yeah. That's all I can say, you know, and I, being an unsponsored athlete, I get to run in whatever I want to run in. And I, you know, Potomac river running gives me some shoes, but I also buy my own shoes too. So that's kind of a, a perk of, you know, I just, that's what kind of I've liked. But, um, but I'm really open. There's a lot of really great other shoes on the market. I think a lot of brands are, are doing a great job competing. Um, so it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how, how that moves forward. But, you know, as far as that whole shoe debate, I kind of just feel like I'm not making the rules, but I'm going to follow them. So yeah. whatever, whatever the rules are, you just tell me what the rules are and I'll, I'll play by all the rules. So. Yeah. Most people seem fine with it. Professional athletes we've spoken with and just amateur runners. Most people are like, Hey, it's cool. It's innovation. You know, swimsuits changed over time and you know, fine. Yeah. That's how I, that's how I feel, but I'm also in the thick of it. So it's, uh, you know, a biased opinion, I guess. So uh, do you have an agent now? I do. Yep. I'm working with Ray Flynn. Oh, you are. Wow. You're one of the best in the world. So <laughs> he, so sponsorship dollars really are imminent, right? We'll see. We'll see. There, there may be, there may be something in, in the works. Um, it's, you know, for me, and I'm sure maybe this has been a little frustrating with, for Ray, but my goal for running has never been financial. And I mean, and that would be nice to have a partner support me in that way. And I think I could pull up on real estate and put even more into running and maybe 
but but also I don't know maybe that balance of real estate and running is why I've been doing so well yeah. but um, for me this journey is all about how fast I can run like what are my limits like how how fast can I run so a sponsorship would be nice but it's never been a priority to me um, and so yeah we'll we'll see what happens I think I think I can find the right partner that will really support my journey and enhance it and bring me to a new level but um but I've done it all you know kind of by myself already and I'm not afraid to keep doing it that way well it's such a perfect story for a brand right I mean you you are the exact perfect running demographic that every shoe brand wants to sell to and so you know, every mom juggling career, family, uh, personal health um, in in the world, should, your story should resonate with them. So, if I'm you know if I'm a shoe brand, I'm saying, wow, this is this is who I want. You know, it's one thing to have a super elite, you know, uh, sub two hour marathoner, but your story in a lot of ways is much more understandable to the the running public. Yeah, I've, I've you know I. I have a lot of people reach out that see something in me that they see in themselves. And I think yeah. that I've had running in my life, every possible way I've, you know, been a high school standout. And then I was injured for a while in high school yeah. and I hated running. I had success in college and then I've struggled as like a pro athlete and I've retired and I've been injured and I've hated running, like absolutely hated running. Like when you are, haven't run in a while and you are coming back off an injury or off a pregnancy or just gaining weight naturally, whatever, because you stay up till 12 playing call of duty and eating nachos with your husband every night. Um, like it sucks to get in shape, like running, like when yeah. people tell me they hate running, like I know why they say that because I've hated running like that too. Interesting. But, but then I've also seen like how special running can be when you do hate it and you find that breakthrough and you're able to create it in as a routine in your life as like a really positive thing and just how proud you can be by conquering that. And, you know, and I tell people like, once you can make it part of your routine and it's not in like, if I'll be able to run today, it's a win, like something really, really magical happens. And it's just, it becomes really fun and really special. And, um, and I've seen it all, you know, I've seen it all with running. And I think hopefully people can, can see that in me and they feel comfortable coming to me with other questions or whatever, because, you know, I, I've seen it all. You know, it's interesting. I was a couple of years ago, I was chatting with one of the marketing people at Brooks and they said, yeah, one of the challenges we have is with younger people, millennials, I guess, call it people in their twenties they don't self-identify as runners. They may still run three or four days a week, but they don't think I'm a runner because they'll also go do a uh, soul cycle or they'll, they're into hiking or snowshoeing or something. And so they don't, even though they may log almost as many miles as a quote runner from, from 20 years ago, uh, they don't self-identify as runners. And I, you know, on one hand, I felt as if, well, okay, I guess that's kind of cool. People, you know, diverse activities and not specializing. That's, that's good. But on the other hand, I feel like you're kind of losing something that you were describing where, where you wake up every morning and you think, yeah, I'm, I'm a runner. I'm going to, I'm going to think about running 20 times today because I have to think about what I'm going to eat. I think when I'll train, looking forward to my next race, chatting with running buddies. Mm -hmm. I, don't I think, I think that identity as a runner is important. Yeah, it definitely is. And I don't like, I totally see what you're saying on how 
like, and I kind of want to break down that like elitist runner mentality a little bit that you don't need to run marathons to be a runner. You don't need to run every day to be a runner. Like I still, like I, like I said, I took almost 10 years off and there was years that I made and maybe didn't run a step and I was still a runner during that time. Yeah. You know? So like, I definitely, like, I don't know the right answer to that, but I'd like to help try to find it because it is a really powerful thing and can give you a lot of confidence to feel like a runner. And, and, you know, and people say, oh, I don't run, I jog, or I don't, you know, I don't know. I think it's all in the same, but, you know, I'd like to find an answer to that and make people feel more included because it really is a, a special thing to, to have running in your life in some way, shape or form. Um, speaking of intergenerational running and athletes, uh, are your kids crazy proud of you or not quite aware of what's going on? Yeah, I don't think they really know. Um, <laughs> you know, I think they are, they are proud. Like they, they'll come home from school and say that they told their teacher that, you know, I set a world record or something, you know, or, you know, so everything's a little skewed. It's like playing telephone or something like, you know, they don't quite have all the facts. Right. But, um, but I think they are proud and, I think that I've been able to show them how to set goals and commit to things and just throw caution to the wind and be real passionate about something that you like. And that's what I really hope that they take away, whether it's running or another sport or hobby or whatever it is, I hope that they can just find something that they love to do that makes them feel good about themselves and just go for it. Absolutely. Uh, all right, cool. We'll hit, if you have, if you'll indulge us, we'll hit you with a couple quick questions. We've we've hit a few of our other podcast guests with, and um, then we will let you go get back to training and and closing deals. Awesome, that sounds good. All right, favorite favorite movie of all time. Oh, okay. Um, I think the movie that I've seen the most in my life is Zoolander. That I had it on like VHS in college, and like my roommate and I would watch it literally every night. Um, but I think one of my favorite movies of all time is A League of Their Own. I don't know what it is about that movie. It's oh, a star, that's cool. It's a star-studded cast, and it's about like women taking over in sports and um, kind of flipping the script a little bit. So uh, I like that one a lot too. You know, I don't think my daughter. We have a 13-year-old daughter. I don't think she's ever seen that. We we need to make that the family movie tonight. Yes, yes, that is that a good awesome. call. Let me know how she likes it. Uh, I don't, she's probably seen Zoolander, but uh, the gasoline scene, the gas station scene is. Orange mocha frappuccinos. Yeah. All right. Uh, Favorite book. Okay. Favorite book. I, okay. I'm going to do like another throwback. This is probably my favorite book of all time. I read it in high school for an English class but Ender's Game, if you guys ever read that, no. it's not this like really gifted, um, it's set in the future and it's this gifted kid that's sent to space for this like space training thing. Um, I love that book. It's probably, I don't like reading a book more than once, but I've read that book more than once. So I, it's like, I don't know, I read it in high school. I feel like so like silly and childish and I'm bringing up my favorite book from like high school, but Ender's Game, I think is my favorite book. I've I love it. Now we're compiling a list of what everyone's responses and they're very diverse. So I love it. So Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is another one that I really like too. It has that kind of the, like the cheeky sense of humor in it that I really like too. But yeah, Ender's Game for the win. All right. That's cool. Um, if you could have dinner with one person living or deceased, who would it be? I am going to say, I usually say Malcolm Gladwell for this, but I'm going to change oh. it up. I'm going with Conan O'Brien 
because I know I would get like the best ab workout of my life just laughing that yes. meal. So Conan, I think he is just the funniest person on this planet. And I just, that's who I would pick right now in this moment. I, I need a laugh. That's a great call. No, and his Harvard graduation speech, that is one of the best graduation speeches of all time. <laughs> He's amazing. And, you know, I think because he is like, he is a very intelligent person too. So like right. placed in through his humor are bits of like historic knowledge or just something funny. So I do feel like I learned just a little bit while I'm laughing so hard at his like self-deprecating humor. I love it. Uh, morning runner, evening runner, you're probably all new, you know, all times a day, but, but what's, what's your preference? Morning, midday, evening? I prefer the morning because um, you just get it done. That's kind of my my thought. The sooner you can run in the day, the more likely it's going to happen. Um, so I like I like the morning, and then I can you know just be a little more um, like loose on my nutrition the rest of the day, and not worried that I'm you know, uh, like hydrate or you know be you know get ready for a run. But yeah, so I'm going to say morning, and there's just something really peaceful about a morning run too. Totally sets up your day right. Um, headphones? No headphones? I always do headphones really unless it's a workout workouts i don't do any music or anything because i really want to make sure i'm just like very present but every other run unless i'm running with a buddy i have my my headphones in a podcast music whatever it is but i love that time to like myself to listen to whatever i want and to listen to music or whatever and just kind of be be with that Excellent. Uh, all right. Last question. Who is going to play you in the made for TV movie? Oh man. Okay. Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't know. I think that people have told me before that like Anna Kendrick has like a similar humor Oh style. yes. Yeah. So you I guys think, look a little alike. I yeah. think like Anna Kendrick might be it, but as far, and also, um, Oh, what's the woman in, um, she was in the Hunger Games. Um, oh, the, right. And the, um, oh, the one with uh, Bradley Cooper too. Yeah, the blonde. Oh yeah, and Pitch Perfect. She was in Pitch Perfect a lot. Yeah. Who is the, what is her name? Oh my gosh. I forget. I forget too. All that right, woman we'll... too, I think has very similar mannerisms to me and is just very funny. Um, so I think, I think those two are going to be what I'm going to say. I like it. I like it. Hey, you're a great sport for putting up with our silliness. And uh, no, thank you so much. It was just such a fun year to watch from uh, from a long way away in Boston. But um, but no, this this is going to be really exciting this year. I think um, I think this is going to be one of the biggest distance running stories of the Olympic trials. So fingers crossed, stay healthy, work hard. I, you know, I hope, I hope that, I hope that happens too. I would, uh, that's a story that I'm writing. So I hope, uh, I hope I get my ending. So I love it. I love it. Hey, thank you so much, Kira. And, uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch. I hope. Yeah, definitely. All right. Best of luck. Bye. Take care.